0: You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Good
1: afternoon, Packer fans. It's Saturday, March the 19th, and Packers Total Access begins right now. If you look at this play, what we're trying to get is a seal here and a seal here, and try to run this play in the alley. All right, guys, welcome into Packers Total Access. I'm your host, Clayton Bailey. You can find me on Twitter, at Packers underscore access. You can find Ryan Slip on Twitter, at Pack underscore daddy. So, guys, what a, what a show that we have to uh, cover today, right? We're going to try not to spend too much time at all on the Devonte Adams trade, and the reason being is you guys have now had a couple of days to to kind of digest that, right? Everybody's talked about it. Everybody did emergency podcasts. I, I thought World War Three had happened there. Every notification I got on any podcast app that I have, every one of them said emergency podcast, emergency podcast, <laughs> emergency podcast, because Devonte Adams was traded. Let me give you my my insight, real quick on uh, or my opinion, not insight, my opinion on the matter here. You know, we had talked several times in the uh, in the past few episodes about Devontae Adams. And, you know, I talked about how I felt like Devontae was a stand-up guy, right? I've seen very, very few Packer fans bashing Devontae. And, and that really, that makes me feel good because I was kind of concerned. You've always got trolls. And what I mean by trolls is... You've got fans of other teams like the Bears and the Vikings, and they have burner Twitter accounts where they pretend to be Packer fans, and they give these horrible takes, and they're the only ones stupid enough to believe that that uh, that other fans actually think that those are real Packer fans, in my opinion. But when it comes to Devontae Adams, the dude was nothing but first class when he was a Green Bay Packer. He never whined. He never complained. He was always the top that just strapped him up and worked as you-know-what off. Um, he's a guy who earned a Hall of Fame quarterback's trust and uh, just a guy that really played the game the right way. Um, he's a perfect example. If you look at his RAS, you would be shocked at just how low his RAS is, which is why it's really, really important not to put too much stock into relative athletic score, right? It's important. But it's not necessarily a deal-breaker. Does it mean that someone else is more valuable? Absolutely it does, and I'll tell you why. If Devontae Adams, given what he had put on tape, and keep in mind he came out as a second-round pick, with what he put on tape, on-the-field athletic ability, um, if he had had an RAS above 8, The guy probably would have been a top five pick, in my opinion. The thing that hurt Devontae Adams the most was his athletic score. But it's the perfect example of how someone who has character, someone who has work ethic, someone who was raised the right way, stepped into the league and said, you know what, I'm going to bust my butt and do this day in and day out and perfect my craft. And I remember when he finally cut the corner, of all people, Chad Johnson posted a video and on the video he said it is literally a video of chad johnson whether you like chad johnson on or off the field doesn't matter to me he was a great 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 wide receiver um he posted a video of him crying and he was like y'all y'all have no idea Devonte adams's footwork his route running ability is unbelievable and i remember thinking at that time guys because Devonte hadn't blown up yet i remember thinking God, he's overreacting. This is like such a bad sell job. This is is just corny, you know? And then that year, he came out and lit it up. And I will forever remember that point moving forward going, holy cow, Chad Johnson was right. There's something different about Tay. Tay, It's like literally he went from Devontae to Tay. And I feel like those are two separate people. Um, Tay was just this dominant force in route running and it literally took a double team to keep him from getting open and even even then he could make it happen but I say all that because thank you Devontae Adams for always doing things the right way right and being an awesome Green Bay Packer Um, in my opinion a top five Probably top three Green Bay Packer wide receiver, and that's really, really saying something. When you're talking about Don Hudson, you're talking about you know people like uh, you know Jordy. You're talking about people like Donald Driver, another overachiever. Um, Sterling Sharp, I know he got hurt and kind of got pushed out. You know you've got Hall of Famer James Lofton, all these great receivers. I, I feel really, really comfortable saying that Tay was a top three receiver in the history of the green bay packers now with that being said guys he's a 30 year old receiver he he may play great for the next three years he might play really solid for the next five but the percentage chance of that happening is pretty low i think like i said in past podcasts two more years that's why i was so excited when they got him under the franchise tag because i said they could even tag him next year if if it you know push came to shove but I did not want a contract more than two or three years that really handcuffed them after he was gone because there's no way they were going to keep him around for what right now is top wide receiver money if he's performing at a mediocre level. The Packers just does they do not do that. Name the player that they keep on the roster that they pay top two or top three at the position salary or cap hit, as I like to refer to cap hit again, I'm going to, I'm going to reiterate guys cap hit is all that matters to me. I do not care about bonuses. I don't care about, you know, um, how it affects the front office in regard of cash on hand or how it, you know, relates to the player being the highest paid at his position, because all that really matters is guaranteed money. I could care less. I want to know what the cap hit is and the thought that he would be on the roster um, in decline at a top three cap hit on the entire team that I, I, I do not want to be there in two or three years. So I was excited about the franchise tag because I assumed they would you know have him for that long. Um, they would be able to maximize the franchise tag and use it as leverage to get him to sign a contract that's team-friendly in the short term. And it sounded like that's how it began, right? And it, at some point, Tay said, you know what? Enough's enough. I know what I'm worth, and we all know there were teams that were willing to give it to him. But as a Packer fan, I did not want them to give him that kind of contract. So I thought it was really, really cool that the front office gave him what he wanted. You understand that they could have – they had the leverage. He was either going to sign the tag and be traded where they send him, play or not play at all miss out on all that money. Anybody who thinks that Tay was really going to sit out the entire year, you're wrong. I'm sorry. There's no player outside of, from the best I can tell, um, who was at Le'Veon Bell. Um, And we've seen what that did to his career, right? It absolutely demolished He was never the same player. But I really, really respect the fact that the Green Bay Packers, first of all, beat Oakland's offer, or I'm sorry, Las Vegas' offer, and said, we will pay you more. But the damage was done in tay's eyes he's like no i'm i'm uh, his his heart we've all done it you've made heck, i've i've had this kind of emotion towards a barbecue grill guys once i make the decision i'm done i'm out that's just that's my personality i don't chew my backer twice as we say down here i you know once i make a decision it's over i respect tay for having that stance tay was not like i've I said it a thousand times he was not going to be the guy that was going to hold the Packers hostage and be a distraction in training camp. And I guarantee you that's how he went to Goody and how he went to Murphy and said, listen, guys, I'm out. I'm done. My heart is out of here now. I want to go to the Las Vegas Raiders. And if he's smart, which he probably was smart enough to say, look, I've given you guys a lot. The least you can do is give me this. Now, I don't know if they would have honored it if it would have been a crappy compensation package, but the fact that they got a first-round pick and a second-round pick, that makes it a little bit easier I respect both sides. Now, coming down to the trade, and I'm going to wrap this up and move on to something else. As far as the trade, we talked about, you know, the perfect deals are where both parties, both sides, both teams feel like they came out with what they wanted. And that's exactly what you have in this trade. The Las Vegas Raiders get a wide receiver who I don't I don't buy the fact that they have chemistry, Derek Carr and him because they haven't played together in so long. But they're getting a top three receiver, maybe the best receiver in the game on a team that's going to be paired up with Hunter Renfro, Darren Waller, and I believe Derek Carr is an underrated quarterback personally. It sounds like he's going to get a huge deal and rightfully so because the guy leads the right way. He, he knows how to how to connect with his teammates in a way that he shows heart. It's amazing how many people say, oh, he's corny. When someone shows heart and they don't act like an idiot and go out and try to do TikTok videos and draw attention to themselves with Instagram posts talking about how their feelings are hurt because another team was looking to bring a player in at their position, all of a sudden they're corny. I don't buy that. I think he's the real deal. So it worked out great for the Raiders. They are ready to compete in the AFC West, and they're going to need Tay. They're going to need every bit they can because that is an arms race out there with the with the Chargers You know, going out and getting Khalil Mack on the edge. And then you've got the Denver Broncos loading up with, with Russell Wilson at quarterback, right? And then you've got the Chiefs, who are already a powerhouse, and they're bolstering the roster by re-signing people. There's rumors that if he hasn't already signed it, I may have missed it. Tyreek Hill, they're going to re-sign, and, and they're keeping, I think, Orlando Pace re-signed. They're going to keep things in place there. They're going to need it. What do the Packers get in return? They got a first-round pick and a second-round pick in this year's draft. Guys, that, in my opinion, is unheard of. It amazes me how some people, a very minute amount of people, of Packer fans and trolls that say that Brian Gutekunst got fleeced. He got fleeced. Okay. They said the same thing last year about DeAndre Hopkins' trade. Remember? The Texans got fleeced. I think they got a second-round pick for DeAndre Hopkins. Second-round pick and a running back that did nothing. in I think David Johnson, if I remember his name right. He was supposed to be this dual-threat great receiving back. Yeah not 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 worth what we believed at the time was the best receiver in the game. Now it's funny that you can draw a parallel with Tay and DeAndre Hopkins because you remember the whole argument was he wanted more money than DeAndre Hopkins. Okay, so the guy that had the most money that by the way Tay kind of he he's the highest paid receiver but he didn't get nowhere near that 35 million that was being reported per, right? But isn't it amazing that we not only got that same second round that they got for DeAndre Hopkins, but we got a first round or two? Now, how in the world do you think Brian Gutekunst got fleeced? That makes no sense whatsoever. That's just people being stupid. So a first and a second round pick, right? And they get a great receiver for the next two years, basically, in my opinion. I think that's when he'll start to, to decline. And let's pray he doesn't get hurt. I don't wish any ill will on any former Packers unless they, you know, caused a, a stink. And Ryan did an excellent job kind of hitting on that with the podcast there last week, earlier this week, um, where he said, you know, please go away with dignity. Please don't stir anything up. Please don't – we don't – don't give us a reason to hate you because we want to welcome you back on that one-day contract, retire you as a Green Bay Packer, and, and you go down as a legend in, in the most historic NFL franchise in league history. So – um, Now, let's get on to business. We're Packer fans, right? Okay, how does this affect the Green Bay Packers? Well, first of all, I'm going to be 100% real with you. Tay's a great player, but to sit here and pretend like Matt LaFleur did not build an offense with Aaron Rodgers hand-in-hand to showcase Tay with what was almost 50% of the production of offense from what I understand as far as touches, To sit here and pretend like Matt LaFleur didn't play a huge role in that is just another example of how he gets overlooked as one of the best head coaches in the game. I hope people keep overlooking him because they're going to look up and go, holy cow, his winning percentage, if he keeps at this pace in the next three to five years, they're going to realize this guy is going to shatter every record with how young he is and how efficient he is as far as wins and losses. But Packers uh, Twitter handle at PackersHistory.com is a great follow. Go give them a follow because they they just post stuff that I absolutely love. Um, they put a tweet out that said, Devontae Adams' stats after Matt LaFleur arrived in Green Bay, which was 42 games, averaged out over a 17-game season. This is what they are, 14 touchdowns, 1,588 yards, 130 receptions, 85 first downs. That's what they averaged out to under LaFleur. Adams' stats before LaFleur got to Green Bay, 74 games averaged out, right? Only nine touchdowns a year, 964 yards averaged a year, 80 receptions averaged a year, and 46 touchdowns. I mean, almost cut in half, guys. That's what LaFleur's system did for a number one receiver. I say that because it's not the end of the world, guys. We came out really, really good with this trade. I'm not saying we came out better than Las Vegas, but its I, I really view this as a very, very even trade. So with that being said, we're moving forward now, right? We've got some voids to fill. We've got a roster to fill up. And what I'm going to do is jump into that aspect, right? And we're going to break down what I think are the three weaknesses on offense, the three weaknesses on defense, and what might be the answer moving forward.
0: But first, let's take us a, uh, a real quick break. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us in the hobby it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks we get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high value jordan love card but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates it's all just a shot in the dark until now introducing slab packs from arenaclubcom the only repack that provides real value a complete view on all possible cards and clear hit rates for each one Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase.
1: All right, guys. So what I've done here is I have taken what I feel like is the as the Packers roster sits right now on Saturday, March the 19th, how they sit in PFF grades for their projected starting lineups, Okay, both on offense and defense. I'm going to read those grades very quickly because I don't want to bore you with me just reading numbers. But I want to give you an idea of what I feel like are the weaknesses on both offense and defense. We're not going to focus on strengths. Okay, We're not going to comment on that at all. We're going to read the grades and I'm going to highlight those three weaknesses on offense and defense and then we'll kind of talk about What assets we have moving forward. Okay, so first of all, at quarterback, we've got Aaron Rodgers, 89.3. At halfback, we've got Aaron Jones at 82. I also put at halfback AJ Dillon because AJ Dillon graded out as an 87.4 elite rushing grade last year, guys. Make no mistake about it, AJ Dillon is running back one in Green Bay. Imagine that. We have two elite running backs right now there's something i want to point out about aaron jones and the reason i feel like he got the contract he got and i agree with ryan completely that that contract's going to get restructured over and over and over he's not going to be counting 20 million towards the cap right there's that that's the stuff that's going to get moved around i'm talking about you know next year the year after they already restructured and freed up three million this year we knew that going in aaron jones first class willing to take pay cut not pay cuts but willing to negotiate a contract less than what the market was going to allow him to make so he could stay with his favorite team the team that he right out of his mouth said they believed in me I want to stay here this is where my friends are this is where my teammates are and I'm telling you he is going to be a team leader moving forward big time I think he stays on the roster I don't think he gets to the point where he wants to break the bank um, there may be a time or two where we have to overpay him a little bit, but I think it's going to come with that give and take notion that, uh, you know, he's going to be willing to fudge the cap one way or another with how he structures the deal. Right. So but the thing I want to mention about Aaron Jones, 72.5 receiving grade. OK, now let's move on to wide receivers. There's reason I mentioned that just now. So imagine you got two top running backs, right? One of which had a 72.5 receiving grade. We know how they like to flex him out wide, too. So you've got Randall Cobb as the top graded wide receiver at 70.1. Alan Lazard, who just came back on a one-year tender um, with a grade of 65.5, and Amari Rodgers, who had very, very, very limited snaps last year, grading out at a 60.6. Right? So of those receivers, guess who's the highest graded receiving grade on the, on the entire team? It's actually Aaron Jones. So with that contract, it seems high for a running back. But you're also you also have someone who can play emergency wide receiver and can be flexed out wide, whether it's pre snap motion, um, whether it's you know coming out of the backfield to catch the ball. There's a lot of things that Aaron Jones can do, and I guarantee you that's what you're going to see this year with the absence of Tay. Okay. Now at tight end, this really surprised a lot of people when I talked about it on a uh, on a live Twitter space the other night. Um, tied in Mercedes Lewis actually graded out as the eighth best tied in in the entire league at 75.1. Now, we know Mercedes Lewis it plays that attached role. And what I mean by that is a tight end that's nine times out of ten is attached to the formation. He He's going to line up and present himself as a blocker. So he's not designated that much to catching the football, right? Um, but we've seen him make a few plays. I know he had the fumble in the most important game of the year, but we know that's not big dog, right? So 75.1 there. Left tackle, Bakhtiari, 75.2 limited stats. So we know that Bakhtiari is an elite left tackle. Left guard, John Runyon, 64.6. I don't want to go into all the details of how was the pass grade, how was the running grade, but I will say this. John Runyon's pass grade is out of this world. I think it's actually an elite pass grade. His running grade brought it down so just keep that in mind it's a low grade uh you know for just offensive grade at 64.6 but that's still a pretty solid performance from runyon uh last year given his passing grade center josh myers rookie year 54.9 that's bad guys that's bad make make no mistake about it that is not a good grade but when it comes to rookies i'm willing to give a little bit of ground like okay he's got his feet under him now he from a center standpoint as a rookie center, the fact that his name, and I know he was hurt for for a, you know a little chunk of the season, but the fact that his name wasn't mentioned that often about screw up, you know screwing up, whether it's holding or penalties or bad snaps, I thought he played pretty decent given that that grade is that low. Um, that's just me personally when it comes to a center it's almost like any other offensive lineman. as long as you're not hearing their name very often they're probably playing you know pretty good they're getting the job done so at right guard Royce Newman one of my favorite players in training camp last year in preseason I said this dude looks like a late round stud we got us one looks like Joe Dirt 2.0 looks like he ate Joe Dirt right 55.7 not good not good guys okay and then at right tackle I listed Elton Jenkins at right tackle because I feel like as the roster sits right now, that's where we would play Elton Jenkins is at right tackle. 82.1, one of the best uh, one of the best left tackles in the game last year. So, with that being said, that's the offense. Um, on defense, edge Preston Smith just re-signed him to I believe a 5-year deal, 81.5, excellent grade. Uh, At the other edge, we've got Rashawn Gary, 89.8, an elite edge rusher. Defensive line, most notably nose tackle, Kenny Clark, 75.4, another solid year by Kenny Clark. The other defensive line position, and keep in mind that I'm treating this as if, um, you know, the league, the majority of the snaps in the most recent past um, has been uh, 11 personnel is what the offense stays in and what I mean by 11 personnel I don't mean to try to speak over people here 11 personnel is really really simple it's just a three wide set Um, that's terminology that that coaches use in, in order to communicate a little bit more efficient rather than saying hey we want a three wide set it's 11 personnel it's 10 personnel and what that is is running back to tight end ratio one running back one tight end that's 11 personnel if it was one running back Two tight ends. That's twelve personnel. If it was a running back and a fullback and one tight end, that's twenty-one personnel. That's just football lingo. I don't mean to confuse you there. You guys, I mean, we know our our fans are football gurus. Most of y'all understand what I'm saying. I just don't want to come across like I'm trying to sound like I'm smarter than I am. Okay, um, but anyways. This defense is based off of 11 personnel. So I've got a nickel base, basically, which means there are going to be three corners and there's only going to be two middle or two linebackers, right? So at edge, Preston Smith, 81.5. Rayshawn Gary, 89.8. Defensive line, Kenny Clark, 75.4. The second defensive lineman is Dean Lowry at a 66.6. At inside linebacker, you've got Devondre Campbell coming back, a great Awesome grade 85.0. you've got Chris Barnes at the other linebacker position. I really had high hopes for Chris Barnes last year. Um, I was I was talking him up. Ryan said he just didn't see it and uh, I'm having to have to eat some humble pie right now because Ryan was right. 52.7 was Chris Barnes's grade. Not very good. Um, At the cornerback position, you've got Jair Alexander coming back healthy. Last year it was a 71.5. We know he's graded out elite in past years. He was hurt most of the year and uh, just didn't put it together last year. I have no worries there whatsoever. Rookie cornerback Eric Stokes graded out as a 65.5. Now, you may be kind of surprised because it seems like wow Stokes had a good year last year he played because he was a rookie I grade them a little I look at them a little bit different when it comes to their PFF grades I expect that to jump into the 70s I expect it to increase every single year because the dude really really showed that he can play at this level there's a couple of things he's gonna have to work with and coach Gray is gonna I know he's gonna get that down and and have everything buttoned up but Stokes graded out as a 65.5. Our nickel corner as of right now, guys, is Jamar John Charles, Gene Charles, however you say his name. He graded out of a 45.5. And the reason I mention that is because Rasul Douglas technically still isn't signed right now. I'm looking at the ticker to, to try to catch any news that may come in because, you know, there's a couple rumors between Rasul and MVS that they may sign today with the Packers. We don't know. But anyway, as, as it sits right now, it's John Charles at 45.5. At the safety position, we got Adrian Amos at 74.3. Solid. Just restructured his deal. He's going to be here, um, I think, for at least the next two years, maybe three years. 74.3. Does a great job playing in the box. I really like Amos. He's really grown on me. Darnell Savage is a guy that's kind of let me down. I had high hopes for him. I thought he was going to be a a real playmaker after that first year in the league. He kind of stepped up, then took a step back last year. His grade was 58.4. Mason Crosby at kicker, this really surprised me because I don't understand exactly how PFF grades their kickers. Just to be honest, I'm ignorant. I don't. I didn't take the time to kind of study that. I know how the other positions are graded, and I really respect their approach to it. As far as kicker, I don't know. But I, I do know that 49.2, Mason Crosby at kicker, that's some bad stuff. We know special teams was in shambles last year. I'm not blaming Mason for everything. I'm not. I still refuse to do it but that really popped out to me as far as pff grade at punter we have the newly acquired pat o'donnell who came from chicago the the really the most important stat when it comes to punter for me now seeing that they're the holder is they they pointed out just how effective chicago's kicking game was last year and the fact that he was the holder really, really, uh, it it made me feel a little more comfortable. You know, I was a guy that was excited about Bojo. I bought into the hype last year. Uh, The dude was bombing kicks. I was really excited about it. And I remember Ryan talking about, towards the end of the year, how Bojo wasn't that much better than J.K. Scott. And it was like I just kind of put it in the back of my mind and moved on because it's just a punting game. Well, lo and behold, look what ended up botting us in the rear end in the NFC Championship, right? So I think a change was necessary, the fact that he was the holder, He's, he's part of that process. Um, we we needed to shake things up. It looks to me like Matt Lafleur, Brian Gutekunst, Mark Murphy. They put their heads together and said, you know what? Let's really key in on the kicking aspect of other teams and how can we go out and get a great holder and you know a two for one deal where he can punt as well. Um, I don't think it's a step back, but his grade was a 57.0. Um, I think it's going to be about even with with uh, as far as punting grade is concerned from last year. We just get a little bit more effective holder. All right. With all that being said, I, I wanted to run through those numbers real quick so we can highlight the weak spots. Let's start with offense. The lowest PFF grade of anyone on offense last year was center Josh Myers at 54.9. The second lowest grade was guard Roy Newman at 55.7. The third lowest grade would be Amari Rogers wide receiver at 60.5, but keep in mind Amari Rodgers had limited, very, very limited snaps, right? I think I, I can't even remember, I don't want to tell you the wrong number of snaps, but it was very, very low. Not a good sample size. He had a better rushing grade on on you know on running plays than he did um, on receiving, but it was just such a, a low snap count. You really shouldn't take that in consideration. I just put him on here because as of right now, the best of my knowledge, that's our third receiver, guys. So it's important to look at the weaknesses, right? Those are the spots we need to fill when it comes to the draft and free agency. Two offensive linemen and a wide receiver. I'm not saying that we need to plug another offensive lineman in at center. Again, I think Josh Myers is our center for the future. I would roll with him. But as far as Royce Newman, I think you've got to take a swing in the draft or maybe even free agency to either get a tackle or a guard. And the reason i say either of those will work for me as far as starting position is because if you land a a great tackle a good tackle a solid starting caliber tackle you plug him in at right tackle you leave elton jenkins at left guard you move runyon to right guard and your offensive line is set i feel extremely confident with that offensive line if they go that route now let's say there is no tackle available but you've got a Zion Johnson, or, or, or you pick up a, a guard at a great price in free agency, plug him in over Royce Newman. Now you've got a backup guard, a backup interior lineman, who who's basically started the entire year last year, right? I think that offensive line is a great way to go. Now moving on to wide receiver. Keep in mind, yes, we have Amari Rodgers at a sixty point five, but there's rumors coming out that MVS is very, very close to signing a deal with the Green Bay Packers. It sounds like he might be trying to leverage the fact that there was a market before Tay was traded, and they are trying to, uh, you know, get, you know, get a little, get a little bit more, you know, as far as money in his pocket. Completely understand that. So I don't think it's a slam dunk. Here's what I don't want to happen. I do not want them to overpay for MVS. I would love to have MVS back as a Green Bay Packer. I think his speed is – he has excellent speed. But there's just nothing that popped on tape to me going back and watching the snaps. And, guys, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not trying to brag. I've went back and watched every Green Bay Packer snap from last year three times. thats I do it every single year. I'm a weirdo. I'm a geek. I do it in season. Before the next game, I'm going back to the previous game, win, lose, or draw. And I'm trying to study the film and go, okay, what is it they're trying to do here? What what player really stands out? MVS did not impress me at all. With that being said, for the right price, he knows the system. And I'm telling you, that really carries value. Bring him back at the right price. But do not overpay for that guy. Don't do it. Let's say they do bring him back at a decent price. His PFF grade was a 66.1. Okay, that's that's quite a bit better than uh, than you have there with Amari Rogers. It actually makes him now the second highest graded returning receiver behind Cobb and above Lazard. I think Lazard is going to fill that number one wide receiver role. Now, when it comes to Cobb and Amari, those are two slot receivers. Yes, you can put them on the outside and I'm not saying they couldn't be effective, but that's not what they do best. You want to put players in a position to do what it is they do best. You want to accentuate the positives and negate the negatives. You, you want to or minimize the negatives. You want to accentuate the positives and minimize the negatives. So I, I would love to see Cobb and Amari stay inside. I'd like to see Lazardo on the outside. And if they re-sign MVS, obviously he's a burner outside. I think that would be a, a pretty decent improvement, seeing that he's going to have a step up already knowing the system. And we all know, guys, when you don't have to think about what you're doing You're going to perform better. It goes, that goes for anything in life. You know, if you started a new job or you've got a new craft or a new hobby, once you understand what you're doing and you don't have to think, what am I doing here? It's muscle memory. It's reactionary that you can't put a price tag on that really. So uh, again, I don't want them to overpay, but if MVS comes back, that's going to be an improvement, and I I don't think they should stop there. Obviously, they got to fill the roster out and get other receivers, but I could see that being a possibility. Now, let's move on to defense weaknesses. John Charles, Gene Charles, however you say his name, is by far the weakest link right now at Nickelback, right? 45.5. Well, it's sounding like they're getting close to re-signing Rasul Douglas. Let's say they do re-sign Resign Russell Douglas. Say that three times fast. Right, seventy four point eight was his grade. That's better than Stokes. And I'm not saying he should start over Stokes, but the fact that our top cornerbacks would then be, let's not even pretend like Jair is a seventy one point five. He's definitely in the eighties. We know when he's healthy what he can do. Let's say so. You got Alexander starting, and then you got Russell Douglas at seventy four point eight, and then you would have Stokes at sixty five point five. That's that's a pretty solid corner crew, guys. You're talking about two of the best edge rushers as far, far as PFF grade last year, getting pressure on the quarterback, and you've got lockdown coverage on the back end with Amos Rome in the middle. Um, hopefully Savage has a bounce back here. Here's another thing that's valuable about Darnell Savage, which makes me a little bit hesitant on the Packers going out and signing a safety or drafting a safety, is it coming up on a contract year here with Savage Players really perform. We've seen it with Preston Smith last year, guys. That's you know I think Ryan hit on it a little bit there. It's like when he when he first signed the big deal with the Packers, he kind of took a step back, and then as he got on the backside of that contract, you realize oh oh crap, it's time to make I need to really earn my check again. His, his game ramped up. Let's hope that does. he doesn't decline this year as far as Preston Smith, and let's hope that comes into play with Darnell Savage at the at the safety position. Now, I'm not saying they shouldn't go out and get a safety. Any way you can bolster this roster, do it. Um, but up next was linebacker Chris Barnes at a 52.7, and then you have um, free safety Darnell Savage at 58.4. So the weaknesses recap. On offense, center, guard, wide receiver. On defense, cornerback, linebacker, free safety. The thing that I have noticed, being a Packer fan, uh, just a fan of the NFL in general, I follow the Patriots pretty close too because I'm a big Belichick fan. I love, uh, I just love what he's created as far as culture. Um, people say, oh, he's cheated. Okay, if you think that he's the only person that was trying to bend the rules, then you're not paying attention. And where I come from down here, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. You know, it's just like with NASCAR. I'm not a big NASCAR fan, but they always say, if you ain't rubbing, you ain't racing. That's that's how I look at sports. You're talking to the guy that got ejected from a baseball game in high school because I intentionally had a handful of dirt going into second to break up a double play, and I covered that dude's eye. Being the uneducated person that I am, I had somehow convinced myself that if I kick up enough dirt, the ump won't notice that I just threw a half a gallon of dirt in this guy's face. But anyway, Belichick always kind of did everything he could to get the edge. And he does it in a way that no stone is left unturned. And the reason I bring that up you know, a big, big need for the Patriots last year was tied in. What did they do? They went out in the free agency, and they paid big money for two tight ends. Why did they do that? They did that because they knew there was a decent chance that they were going to miss on one. Okay? As long as you don't go crazy, crazy with the structure of the contract, which they didn't. It seemed like it at the time, but they didn't. You're going to have at least one of those tight ends pan out, and now you have filled that void that was obviously a huge black eye for you the year before. They did the same thing with the wide receiver position. They went out and signed, I think, three wide receivers. I think it was Nelson Aguilar. They got Kendrick Bourne, and I think they re-signed Jacoby Myers. Um, But guess what happened? Out of those three signings, Nelson Aguilar flopped, but Kendrick Bourne really stepped up. Now they've got a number one receiver. Not saying he's elite, but they filled that major void. They covered up that black eye. That's how you approach this. The Packers did it several years ago. Do you guys remember they went for three receivers? I can't, I can never seems like I always get them wrong. But I believe, I believe it was Jamon Jamon Moore, MVS, and Equinemia St. Brown. Jamon Moore didn't, I mean he barely made it out of train camp, seemed like he was gone in no time, right? So he didn't pan out. EQ and MVS stuck. But MVS was more of the, the, uh, the playmaker, more of the, the guy who actually performed, right? That's how you've got to attack these weaknesses. You don't do it in an irresponsible way of overpaying one guy. Guys, that's stupid. Like That's why we didn't re-sign Devontae Adams. If you allocate all of that cap money to one player, It's not that he isn't worth it. If we could guarantee that he was going to stay healthy, I'd say give him $40 million. But if you've got $35 million, $28 million, whatever, whatever the number is, allocated to one player outside of the quarterback position, because we all know if Aaron Rodgers goes down, the season's over. Jordan Love isn't there to save the day. Jordan Love is there to learn behind Aaron Rodgers and be the best backup that he can be for Aaron and helping him prep and helping him kind of be the gopher and the guy in the locker room that Aaron's come to love, it sounds like. Um, That quarterback room sounds really, really cool, but that's neither here nor there. I, I think that that stuff is important that you fill those voids without overpaying, but if Devontae were to go down at that roster, you're you're screwed. You're absolutely screwed. So what do you do? You go out and you take multiple swings at these weaknesses. What I want to see in free agency here in the latter part of free agency, I want to see the Packers go out and I want to want them to see want to see them take a couple of swings at offensive line, wide receiver linebacker and free safety and the reason i don't include corners because i feel really good that russell douglas is probably going to sign with the green bay packers if indeed he signs with the green bay packers the only two needs that you really have on defense as far as these these glary, you know glaringly obvious is linebacker and free safety i'm going to chime in real quick it looks like matthew stafford just signed a new contract extension I read it right. Four years, 125 million. Breaking news there. So, um, another reason why we like to do these afternoon shows when news breaks, we can kind of give you an update. Yeah, it looks like Ian Rappaport's reporting four years, 125 million. So, uh, good for Matt Stafford getting paid. Hey, I was a big doubter last year. I said the dude's never done anything. It wasn't like he was this absolute superstar last year, but he was just what the Rams needed to get over the hump. So, kudos to them. Um, but anyway. Take a swing, take multiple swings at those. Now, you're probably saying, Clayton, how do you take swings at these positions? Well, we now have over 20 million in cap, right, guys? I mean, that's 20. We freed up almost 21 million just by trading Tay, okay? So I'm not saying go. It's amazing. So many people were like, you got 20 million, go sign this guy. Okay, let's go ahead and eat up 18 million of that for that one guy. And these are this is just kind of very loosely speaking. You know, there's ways you can manipulate certain things, but it's also, it's not like we actually have twenty million dollars, first of all. There's other things that have to be allocated before the start of the season, but we do have a chunk of change to shop with. I would go out and take multiple swings at offensive line, multiple swings at wide receiver, and multiple swings at linebacker and safety. Imagine I'm not a Tyrone Matthew uh fan, you know, the honey badger. I'm not. But imagine signing a decent safety that's going to bolster that safety room and maybe even play in in more of a dime role and add a little value to the defense in that regard. But also imagine getting a linebacker. I I would love to see them sign Bobby Wagner. I would. But with Devondre Campbell's contract, his contract's actually based off of his PFF grade, and I do think he'll regress a little bit like Ryan was saying. He probably overperformed last year. But it's not – it wouldn't be – crazy for them to give Bobby Wagner seven million dollars I'm not saying he would take it he probably won't he's still playing at a very high level at linebacker we know the Cowboys will make stupid decisions and overspend for players like that they may do that but imagine if we could get someone close to or or maybe even just a tier below Bobby Wagner and now Chris Barnes is the backup who has a lot of experience and we have another solid linebacker on the field Imagine going out and getting a wide receiver like a Jarvis Landry. I I like Jarvis Landry, personally. I think he's totally the opposite from uh, Odell Beckham Jr. He doesn't have near as much talent, but the guy is a hard player. If he stays healthy, he plays the game the right way, and he's going to grade out in the PFF grade of anywhere from 70 to 80. and um, That automatically makes him the best wide receiver on our roster if they were to sign somebody like that. If you could get... Of multiple players like that at decent contracts to where you can fit them into the salary cap, and now you turn those, you completely flip those weaknesses into strengths. Guys, we're off to the races, and we're set for the long haul. Now, the draft. Think about this. Here's our draft picks. We have a first round pick number 22, a second first round pick in number 28, a second round pick 53, second round pick 59. Third round pick 92, fourth round pick 132, fourth round pick 140, fifth round pick 171, seventh round 228, seventh round 249, seventh round 258. A couple of those are compensatory picks. A couple of them are from the Vegas trade. One is from the Houston trade. Guys, we have a ton of draft capital. Something else I'm also hearing: we need to trade, trade everything, trade up, and go get one of these stud wide receivers in the draft, guys. The only reason the Packers have been successful for so long is because they were willing to be patient. They were willing to be patient for Aaron Rodgers to fall in their lap. They were willing to be patient enough to where they might trade up two or three spots and get somebody like a Clay Matthews. Trade up two or three spots and get somebody, you know, like whoever. Tay Adams. Guys, Tay Adams was a second round pick. Don't. You know, okay, how well, how can you ensure you get a player like that in the second round? I can tell you how you don't. Trade all your picks, move up in the first, and take one swing. Why not sit back, be patient? If one of those elite talents fall to us, absolutely. Jump on it and draft them with that first-round pick. But if you've got multiple players in the same tier that's just behind your pick, trade back. I'm going to give you another example. This is going to be a very, very, very unpopular opinion. If we fill these voids without using too much draft capital, How about this idea, guys? How about we trade out of both of those first round picks, flip it to three first rounders next year and multiple after that, not just three first rounders, but literally have, you know, let's say you trade out of the 22 spot and you pick up a first next year, a third next year, and a fourth next year, right? Let's say you trade out of the 28th spot and you pick up a first next year and say two thirds or whatever the team might have. You understand you're setting yourself up. For when Aaron Rodgers does walk away, whether it's two, three years from now, you're going to be looking at Jordan Love. You're going to have multiple years studying him and saying, "Okay, here is what we've got in this quarterback. He's either going to be the quarterback of the future, or you're going to realize he's not the guy. If he's not the guy, you've got a ton of draft capital to go out and get that Joe Burrow, to go out and get that. You know, I think jury's still out on Trevor Lawrence, but you know, you're, uh, gosh, I, his name's a, a eluding me right now out out in Los Angeles with the Chargers, uh, Justin Herbert. Imagine having the draft capital to jump up and take a franchise quarterback, and lo and behold, we step right into another healthy quarterback position situation for the next 10 to 15 years. That's how you build dynasties. That's how you continue to put yourself in a position to be in the playoffs year in and year out and have a shot at the Super Bowl year in and year out. So, guys, that's my thoughts on it. Hope you enjoyed this uh, this episode. I just wanted to get something out real quick. I'm hanging out on a Saturday, um, having a little green drink for uh, St. Patty's Day, and thought, you know what? I want to talk some football with the with the boys and the gals. So let's hop on here and cut a quick podcast. So if you guys like it, uh, find us on uh, on Twitter, give it a like um follow us on on there Uh, like i said at packers underscore access and at pack underscore daddy we're putting some really cool stuff together here in the future had an awesome team meeting this morning where we're going to be bringing you more content ryan's gears are turning and i'm loving every minute of man we got jacob on the team who's doing an excellent job with social media and plugging stuff in behind the scenes goose coach Han. Uh, J.J. Leahy, we're putting something special together here, and you guys are all invited to be a part of it. But I appreciate you taking the time away from your family and uh, and tuning in hanging out with us. Um, you guys have a blessed day. And one thing I do want to say, you know, it's kind of a crappy world out there right now. I think we should challenge everybody who's listening to this podcast to go out and lift up and encourage one person today, just one. And I would try to make it somebody that you don't know. Don't just reach out to a friend. Reach out to somebody that you probably don't talk to often. Maybe somebody you pass on the street and just say, hey, man, like that shirt, dude. Or, hey, you know, hope you have a great day. Whatever it is, just encourage somebody today. The world needs more of that, right? You know, the old saying, be the change that you want to see in the world. We've all got an opportunity to do that today. Uh, I'll get off my soapbox here, but that's just kind of on my heart. Um, Let's go out there and take care of each other. Be a blessing, not be so toxic. And, uh, yeah, and just just kind of pull for one another the way we do our our favorite team, which is the Green Bay Packers. So, I'm out of here, guys. Thanks for listening. Um, As always, like I said, have a blessed day, and go Pack Go!